The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. Our reading this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all his, this law that I set before you today. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the 10 commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome again to Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. My name is Will Nettleton. I'm one of the pastors here. We are delighted to have you with us this morning, especially if you are a guest or you are new with us. Welcome. We're glad to have you here. And a special welcome this morning to those of you who are starting uh, fresh at Covenant College, perhaps uh, visiting family, dropping off students. Welcome to you. We are really glad 
uh, to have you with us. Students, if there is anything we can do for you in your time at Covenant, we would be honored uh, to serve you. We hope uh, that this can be a little bit of a home away from home for you over the next few years. Well, you are joining us in the middle of a series that we are in in the book of Deuteronomy. And we are turning our attention to chapter 4 this morning. And if you've been with us, you may notice that there has been a significant transition in style. Up until this point, Moses has been recounting the history of how the people of Israel got to this point. They're on the edge of the promised land. They've been delivered up out of slavery in Egypt. They failed to, the first generation failed to go into the promised land. That generation was forced to wander for 40 years until all of them died. And then this generation is now on the edge again, preparing to go into the promised land. And Moses is preparing in the next couple of chapters of Deuteronomy in the sermon that he is giving to repeat the law to Israel, how they are going to live as they take possession of the promised land. And it's going to be a lot of what they've heard before. It's going to be a lot of what their parents heard on Mount Sinai back in Exodus chapter 20, including, as is explicitly mentioned in our text this morning, the Ten Commandments. And by repeating the law, in effect, what Moses is doing is inviting them to renew the covenant, to renew that agreement with God, that partnership with God, that he would be a God to them and they would be his people who would live as his people in the land. But before he begins in on the law itself, Moses tells the people in our passage why they ought to obey the law at all. Why should they obey these laws? And then he also warns them to avoid the danger of forgetting, of forgetting what God has done for them, of forgetting what God has told them. As we launch into it, it's important to note what one of the reasons is not, one of the reasons not to obey the law. Uh, Moses does not give them this reason, that they need to obey the law in order to be saved, or they need to obey the law to get into a relationship with God. Remember the history, the salvation event in the Old Testament is the Exodus. So they aren't obeying this law to be delivered. They have already been delivered. The covenant relationship has already been initiated. So the law of God is about how to live as delivered people. They are not obeying for acceptance. They are obeying as accepted people, chosen by God. This is how to live life in the covenant. And so therefore it is applicable to us as well this morning. You can see our outline there in your bulletin. We'll look first of all at covenantal blessing and obedience for the good of ourselves and our neighbors in verses one through eight. And then we'll see covenantal remembrance, diligence for the good of the next generation in verses nine through 14. So that's where we're going this morning. Let me pause and pray. We'll ask the Holy Spirit to bless our time in the word of God together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have promised that when your word goes out from you, it does not return to you void, but accomplishes every purpose that you have for it. Moses told these same people that your word is no vain word. It's no empty word. It is their very life. And I pray that we would find it to be that for us this morning. 
Jesus, you said that you are our good shepherd and we are your sheep. And your sheep know your voice and follow it. So I pray that you would help us to hear it this morning and to follow it. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Well, one of the books that our children love for us to read, we have two little ones, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. One of the books they love for us to read is a book called Little P, Little P. The book is about a little English P whose parents tell him that he has to eat five bites of dinner before he can have his dessert. Like most children, little P wants his dessert without eating his dinner. He doesn't want to do that part. And the great comedic twist of little P, little P, is that when you're a P, your dessert is spinach and your dinner is candy. Phrases, dessert is spinach. It raises all kinds of interesting questions about vegetable cannibalism, but I digress. He has to eat his candy dinner. And so little P whines and whines after every bite of candy. One, blah, two, blah. How many does he have to go through? And as you ramp up the disgust with the candy, the kids laugh more and more. And they laugh, they think it's hilarious, because who would ever have to be told to eat candy? Who would ever have to be commanded to eat candy? Eating candy, as far as our kids are concerned, is life as it is meant to be lived. Right, that's the part we don't have to be commanded to do. Who would ever have to be made to do this? I use that illustration because as we transition towards the part of Deuteronomy that focuses on God's law, one of the things that we are going to learn is that life according to God's law is life as it was meant to be lived. Life as it was meant to be lived. It is life that leads to our flourishing. We might think who would have to be made to seek the good life? Who would have to be commanded to do that? And it turns out that the answer is Israel and us. The answer is us. Because look where Moses begins as he starts to explain why Israel ought to obey God's law. Did you catch it in verse 1? And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. And do them. Why? That you may live. That you may live, Moses says. Moses says one of the blessings of covenant obedience is life. Part of this covenantal arrangement that they have with God as they obey the law, it leads to life. And the scriptures over and over again remind us of this principle that God's law is not some arbitrary set of rules. They are meant to help us live the way that we were designed to live. One theologian used the illustration of the grain of a piece of wood to help us understand this aspect of God's law. If you look at a piece of wood, once you know how to look for it, you can see the direction of the grain can't you? You can tell which way the grain of the wood goes. And if you rub your hand with the grain, the wood feels almost smooth. And if you rub your hand against the grain, what happens? You get splinters. In a similar way, God's law helps us see the grain 
of the way he has designed us and the way he has designed the world. If we run our hands against it, we will get splinters. And if we run our hand with it, we will find life. Moses tells Israel to listen to the statutes and the rules of God and do them because this is the way to life. Disobedience, therefore, we can infer, leads naturally to death. Not because God's going to throw on some extra punishment or smite you, but because it is the natural outcome. If obedience leads to life, then disobedience must lead to death. And so Moses says one of the benefits of covenant obedience is life. We obey for our own good because it leads to life. We've got a few other aspects of covenant blessing listed there in your bulletin. But before I move on to those, I want to point out something that Moses says here, a warning that he gives about God's law in verse 2. And I want to point it out because I think it is a timeless warning. Look back at verse 2 with me. Moses says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. God's people have always been tempted in two directions when it comes to God's law. For some, the temptation is to add to it. If you've read the New Testament, you know this is the struggle of the Pharisees. It wasn't enough for them to say, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Pharisees had to know how many steps you could take on the Sabbath before you were not keeping the Sabbath holy. And so they added, they added extra things to God's law. For others of us, the temptation will be the other one that Moses mentions, a temptation to take away from God's law, to remove that which he has clearly stated. And I wonder if I even have to illustrate that for us this morning. I think we are experiencing unbelievable pressure in our cultural moment to take away from what God's law says, particularly around issues of sexuality, for instance. But I also think we are experiencing unbelievable pressure in our cultural moment to take away from God's law and what it says about how Christians are to treat our enemies. Think about what we see from Christians on social media on a daily basis. The arguing and the bickering, the mocking and the sarcasm. As if that is the order of the day and the way of our king. Moses says, you shall not add to God's word and you shall not take away from it. He gives a reason why the Israelites shouldn't add or take away in verse 3. He gives a reference to this event that happened in Numbers 25. Certain Israelites had participated in cultic sex acts with Moabite women. And God sent a plague through them and 24,000 people died. And this reinforces what we were saying just a minute ago about life as a blessing of the covenant. Once we begin to play fast and loose with God's law, to add more here, to take away some there, it inevitably leads to death because it is disobedience. Disobedience leads to death and obedience leads to life. Life is one of the covenant blessings. But Moses doesn't stop there. He doesn't just give life as a reason why Israel ought to obey the law. It's not the only blessing. In verse 5, he tells them that they are to obey God's laws in the land. 
God is giving Israel the promised land, and this law is how they are to live in that land. And one of the reasons they are to keep the law in the land is because of the effect it's going to have on the other peoples around them. Look back at verses 6 through 8 with me. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Moses tells Israel that when they obey God's law in the land, the other nations around them will take notice. They will see it. They will notice Israel's wisdom and understanding, and it will draw attention to Israel's God. They will be a blessing to these other nations, just like God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Jesus is going to pick up that same theme in Matthew chapter 5 when he tells his followers, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. Do you remember how it finishes? And glorify your Father in heaven. Covenantal obedience has an effect on the people around us. We obey God's law because it leads to life and to blessing for us. But that life and blessing is not just for us. When we are obeying God, our neighbors feel it and are drawn to it in the God that we are obeying. For those of you who have been listening to our Pillar and Ground podcast, uh, I was able to interview one of our partners, one of our church planters that we support out in Los Angeles, Tim and Melissa Leanne. And that episode actually just came out this past week. But during that interview, I was struck by the way that Tim and Melissa talked about their neighbors out in L.A., they shared that one of the prayer requests they currently have is for housing. They have been renting the whole time that they've been in Los Angeles because of the housing market, so expensive, they couldn't afford to buy. And so they've been renting while they're out there. And their current landlord is getting ready to sell the house that they've lived in for a number of years. And so they were asking that we pray that they find new accommodations. But in the midst of that, they also shared one encouragement that's been coming out of this scenario. When their neighbors found out that they might have to move, they started conspiring about how to buy the house so that Tim and Melissa could stay. Think about that. Their mostly non-Christian neighbors were so devastated by the thought that they might lose them that they were trying to figure out a way to buy the house so that the Leans wouldn't have to move and they wouldn't lose them as neighbors. And I was struck by that thought, number one, because I thought, I don't think my neighbors would do that. <laughs> I think that my neighbors might pay to help get me out of my house. They might do the opposite of that. Are we living in such a way that our neighbors would lament if we were gone? Are you living in such a way that if you had to move, your non-Christian neighbors would grieve? They would miss you. Not just on a superficial level, 
but because of your obedience to God and the effect it had on their lives. What about our church? If Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church were gone, would this mountain lament? Would it miss us? Would our city miss us? Are we so obedient to the Lord that it has changed this community and this city for the better? That they would miss us if we were gone? Moses tells the people, part of why we obey is because people see how we are living and they start to wonder about it. They start to wonder about the God we are following. And so this is another reason, another part of why we obey, that we might experience covenantal blessing, that we might live, but also that we might be a light. It is for our good and our neighbor's good. But in the second part of our passage, Moses begins to talk about the necessity of remembering and investing, especially in the generations that come after us. Let's look back at verses 9 and 10 with me. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. Notice Moses' particular focus on remembering what they've seen with their eyes. Moses says, be diligent to remember what you saw. What you saw God do, why? Because it is so easy to forget. If you're familiar with the rest of the story, Israel will spend a lot of time doing that. God will work wonders and miracles for them that they immediately forget. And so how do they prevent that? Moses says, you pass it on to the next generation. In passing it on, it instills it in them, but it also refreshes it for you. Actually, been experiencing the benefit of some of this, uh, I realized as I was preparing this week in my own life. um, As we are putting our son Cooper to bed, we have been trying to help him learn the children's catechism. We've been doing a few questions at night. And those of you who've done this know one of the beauties of teaching that to your children is that you just have no idea where their little brains are going to go. You have no idea what's going to come to mind for them. And so for Cooper, when we got to the question, who were our first parents? Adam and Eve, he wanted to know, where are Adam and Eve? And I realized when he was asking that question, like in his mind, these are like his great, great, great grandparents that we can just go visit somewhere, wherever they are. And so I told him actually without thinking about it, oh buddy, I'm sorry, Adam and Eve died like a long time ago. They died a long time ago. And I realized as we were talking about it, that I accidentally just introduced my three-year-old to the concept of death for the first time. I actually just dropped that without even really thinking about it. And he said, Daddy, are we going to die? And I said, yes, buddy, hopefully a very long time from now. And he got so quiet, and he said, Daddy, I don't want us to die. And I thought, me neither. Me neither, buddy. And and of course, we talked about all the wonderful things that we believe 
about how God has given us souls that can never die. Because that was just the next question coming up. And how Jesus defeats death and all the good things that are coming. But the thing I was overwhelmed by was how his fresh little three-year-old mind, his fresh little three-year-old perspective reminded me of truth that I have become so numb to. That death is not right. It is not right. It should not be like this. Our sin has brought this into the world and broken it, but it was not supposed to be this way. And we love Jesus because he has promised to deal with that and has dealt with it. Moses tells us that one of the ways that we prevent spiritual amnesia is by passing on what God has done to the next generation. It instills it in them, but it refreshes it in us. How will we be obedient to the covenant? As we pass it on, it reminds us again. In that instance, it's not supposed to be that way. Verses 9 and 10, Moses focused on remembering what their eyes had seen. And in verses 12 through 14, he focuses on what they heard. Look back there with me. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he, brought, he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you were going over to possess. So Moses says they're to remember what they've seen, and what they've heard, what God has done, and what he has said. And they are to pass that on to the next generation. And this commandment is the same for us. We are to remember what God has done and what God has spoken, and we are to pass it on. Think about what Jesus says in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Go therefore, very familiar verse, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We are to teach covenantal obedience, to pass it on. And how does Jesus finish that passage? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It echoes what Moses says here in verse 7. Moses says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as our Lord God is to us whenever we call on him? Israel knew a God who had drawn near and led them through the wilderness in the form of a fiery cloud and pillar but you and I know the rest of the story, do we not? God will draw even nearer. He will draw even nearer in the person of Jesus Christ. God will take on flesh and dwell among us. He would keep every part of this law perfectly, covenantally obedient. He would die a substitutionary death on the cross for our disobedience to the covenant. He rose again from the dead after three days and Paul tells us in Romans 8 that he is at the right hand of God interceding for us even now. 
And we know that he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. So we can say in an even fuller sense, who has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Why ought we to obey the law? Because God has drawn near to us. This is the way that he has designed us to live. This is life as it was meant to be lived. He has come near. Who has a God like this? Nobody else. Jim Harbaugh is the uh, head football coach at the University of Michigan. And he is a Michigan man. If you know his story, he's a Michigan man through and through. He played quarterback at the University of Michigan when he was in college. He actually grew up in Ann Arbor. His dad was an assistant coach under legendary Michigan coach Bo Schembechler. And as Coach Harbaugh tells the story, when he and his brother were kids and their dad was an assistant coach at Michigan, they didn't have a lot of money. College football was not then what it is today as far as finances go. And so they were relatively poor as far as it went. Their family had one car. And if one parent was out using it and the other one needed to take the kids somewhere, then they walked. Coach Harbaugh said that when his dad had to walk somewhere with the kids, he would tell them to grab a basketball and to practice their dribbling while they walked. A hundred on one side, hundred on the other as they kept walking. And as they walked and dribbled, he would lead them in this chant, a liturgy of sorts. His dad would ask, who's got it better than us? And they would say, nobody. Who's got it better than us? Nobody. And Jim Harbaugh said, as he got older, he realized that there were people who did have it better than them in a certain sense. There were people who had more money, didn't have to walk when the one car was taken. But in the end, Coach Harbaugh says that he decided that call and response that his father taught him when he was growing up was true. Nobody had it better than them. Nobody had a dad like his. Nobody had a family like his. Nobody had a life to be grateful for like his. I actually think that's a fair approximation of what Moses means in verse 7. Who's got it better than us? Nobody. Nobody. We have a God who has drawn near, who has given us his law that leads to life and to flourishing, who has given us his son. He's given us his son. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So as we close this morning, let me ask us to remember what God has done, to repeat what God has said for our good, but also for our neighbors and for the good of those who come after us. Amen. Let me close us in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a God who has drawn near to your people. We thank you for Jesus, that he lived the life we ought to have lived, that he died the death for sin that we ought to have died, that he rose again from the dead, that he is seated at your right hand, that he intercedes for us even now, that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. 
I pray for us, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful to your covenant, that we might find in obedience to you life, that it might change our neighbors, this community, our city. I pray for our friends here this morning, perhaps, who have not yet believed. Would you open their eyes this morning to see the beauty of who you are, that you are a God who longs to draw near to them. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, who follow you to be faithful, to remember what we have heard and what we have seen, and to pass it on. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.